Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Free will is something that we all perhaps don't think a lot about in our everyday lives. And my guest today, David Lawrence, will get us thinking about it. He's the author of Are We Biochemical Robots? He's a social critic an animal rights advocate and a philosophical proponent of free will, opposing the determinist views held by many new media personalities. David wrote his book as a response to the 10th anniversary of another author's book, Sam Harris's book called Free Will, in an effort to expose the flawed thinking that Harris's book and determinist ideology present and to address the central arguments against the existence of free will. David holds a BA in philosophy from UCLA, as well as a Juris Doctor Law degree from USC. So this is an episode for the thinkers among us as we discuss determinism, free will, and why the great debate between them matters more than ever. So welcome to the Politics of Everything, David. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since 2017, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one web-based solution to make the process quick and painless, the way podcasting should be. If you know me, I'm pretty obsessed with quality guests, quality content, and quality sound, and that's what Zencaster allows me to do. Not to mention, it's really easy to use, even for my guests that aren't particularly tech-savvy. There's nothing to download, they just click on the link and we start recording. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automatic post-production all in the one tool, you don't have to leave your browser to get each episode done. I want you to have the same great experience that I do for all my podcasts and content needs. So I have a special offer for you. If you go to zen.ai forward slash politics of everything and enter this promo code, you'll get 30% off in your first three months when you sign up to Zencaster Pro. That's Z. E-N dot A-I, politics of everything. It's now time to share your story. So I'm going to go back to your childhood. Do you remember what you wanted to be when you grew up? Did you, was it about being an academic or did you want to be an astrophysicist? Do you remember what, what your early thoughts were and maybe a little bit of a summary of how you got to where you are today? Sure. Well, I, I grew up between, I, I was five to ten years old between 1960 and 65. So I have to be candid with you. I wanted to be one of the Beatles. <laughs> well, that's good. That's a big ambition. <laughs> and, and I have to, con- yeah, they didn't want me, however. They seemed oh, to be, be self sufficient. But I saw them on the Ed Sullivan show, and everyone was going crazy and screaming. And I said, that's a good career. I, I'd kind of like that career. So that was it. As I said, they, 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 they weren't interested in my contributions, and so I had to move on. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you were musical maybe, but then did you, did you have a sort of, did you go to college? What was your sort of steps after school? Well, in the big picture, I came from a family of lawyers. So when I got rid of the idea that I really could be the fifth Beatle, I followed in the footsteps of my dad and grandparents and, and became a lawyer. I went to UCLA. My undergraduate degree was in philosophy 
And uh, then I took a law degree at USC and, and followed in the family footsteps, so to speak. And so for you, I guess, law seems like it was in your DNA, but obviously you were a deep thinker as well. It wasn't just about the practice of law. And, and I guess where you are now as an author and so forth, what really motivates you to do what you do? Well, I, I read a book, the Sam Harris book, Free Will, that you referred to, and I had a lot of respect for Harris because I'd read his prior books and I'd heard his interviews and I thought he was a terrific, intelligent, knowledgeable, educated guy. But when I stumbled onto the book Free Will and read it, I, I was quite puzzled and, and scratching my head because I didn't think it made much sense. And I didn't think the arguments worked. And I didn't think there were very many arguments. They were mostly sort of conclusory statements. So I became sort of very curious in this whole subject based on reading that book. And I decided to write a short article which became a medium-sized article, which became a longer article, which ultimately became a full-length book. So that's pretty much what motivated me. So how can free will be defined from your perspective? And I guess, do you think it's something most of us take for granted? Is there sort of a perspective you have on this? Sure. Well, I'll answer the second question first. Not, not only do we all take it for granted, everyone who says they're a determinist takes it for granted. I'll leave that on the table for a second and go back to the first question. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of different definitions, but the, the, the real hardcore one that's relevant is, is really common sense. We have the ability to decide. We do it as conscious beings. Our decisions affect reality. We change the course of reality by our decisions. It's really the common sense definition of uh, agency, human agency. Absolutely. No, I think that's a great summary of it. And I suppose, is there an example of, I guess, free will, which perhaps most people would relate to in, in everyday decision making? Is it something like that whole idea we take it for granted is just that I haven't thought about it much until I've prepared for our podcast today. But mm-hmm. it, it's something I imagine that drives most decision making at various junctures of the day. Sure. And it's there whether we're conscious of it or not. The example I give in the book is wanting some lemonade and reaching for a glass of lemonade. And if you are a a free will, under the free will paradigm, if you're a free will advocate, you have an intention in consciousness to reach for the lemonade and your arm goes and gets the lemonade in response to the intention to reach for the lemonade. So the action you took was freely made and the intention you had to get the lemonade was something that you freely committed to. In the determinist paradigm, it's completely the opposite. Everything started in the Big Bang, where a causal chain was sent out throughout the ages until this period of time. And when you reach for that glass of lemonade, you do so because that was predetermined by the causes set off by the Big Bang 14 billion years ago. And you you aren't reaching for the lemonade because you choose to, and you're not having the thought, gee... I want some lemonade because you want to, it's because you are forced to have that thought and you're forced to have to take that action by, by alien causal forces that go back to the Big Bang. That's totally fascinating. And I suppose for a lot of us, we don't even really understand what determinism is and, and how that intersects with free will. And I think that lemonade analogy helps bring that to life. Is there 
something else that in our, you know, a bit more sort of, I guess, business orientated that comes into that because that that theory works well perhaps in sort of, you know, non-consequential environments where, you know, you might want a lemonade or not want a lemonade. But if you're in a business environment, if you don't get the corporate deal, is that also mm-hmm. something the determinist would think is kind of set in the stars, so to speak? Yeah, I think it goes much deeper than lemonade, than lemonade uh, or Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> just to be clear. <laughs> just to be clear, there's no prejudice to the drink involved. Um, it's at the core of everything we do. So in terms of business, self-empowerment, creative drive, coming up with creative solutions, all of this assumes that we have free will, that we can evaluate the circumstances, we can think of options, and we have the ability to make a choice. And our choice affects how reality unfolds. So in a sense, it's, it's, it's the essence of all initiative and empowerment. By contrast, if we're just biological biochemical robots, which is the title of the book taken from Harris's phrase that we're just biochemical robots, we don't have any ability to take initiative, to act, to make choices. It's all programmed. We're, we're, we're programmed robots that, that are in a causal chain that goes back to the Big Bang. So we can't express ourselves. Whatever options we take, we were caused to take them. It really is the most ultimate form of disempowerment. So in business and really everything in life, we're all striving for empowerment, Right. Absolutely. A lot of what I do in this show is about people taking an idea and and empowering that in a real sense, either for themselves or for greater society. Exactly. And so in that sense, the free will determinist debate is really the core of who we are and, and what we can build or not build, you know, using our own initiative and creativity and productivity and vision. Absolutely. So in your words, determinists have markedly grown in number over the past decade in large part due to a misreading of neuroscience studies seeking to link prior neural brain activity to the exercise of choice and I guess free will is kind of what we're talking about today. And at the same time, the moral importance of the free will debate has been increasing in intensity due to other science Mm -hmm. findings which demonstrate that determinist belief promoting cheating and other antisocial conduct. I'd like to sort of push you a little bit on this, this idea that for a lot of successful people, and that might be, you know, success on the sporting field, in the business arena, in in kind of their everyday lives, whatever they determine success to look like, this idea that, you know, what we do and our abilities and our, you know, desires to get ahead at all costs is kind of how a lot of people have been told that society works for a large part. But is there another argument to that? Is there some other way in which there can be maybe a better and more healthy approach to this in in what you're kind of trying to educate people about? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I mean, the motor that drives the machine is free will, but free will comes with responsibility. You're responsible for your choices. Now, of course, we have influence and we can only choose within limits and constraints of being human and the circumstances that present themselves. But within, within those constraints, we have responsibility for what we do and our actions are things for which we're accountable. The, the determinist vision of the world is the opposite. We're not accountable. We have no responsibility because we don't have any control over our thoughts and actions. Now, when you go to the free will paradigm, it opens up, okay, if we're responsible, now, what does that mean? Are we going to use our powers for good or, or for the dark side, so to speak? And so in that sense, uh, free will 
brings with it responsibility and morality. And now it's a matter of our choice as to how we're going to direct our energies. Absolutely. And I suppose, I mean, obviously going back to it, you mentioned you have a legal background. I mean, that just wouldn't stack up in a court of law, surely, that, you know, I, I, I was pre-programmed to, to do this terrible crime or to steal from someone or harm someone. I mean, how it's a kind of hard for most of us rational people to kind of understand how that theory would really work in a society where we've all got to kind of cohabitate and live and function in a way. Oh, it, it doesn't work at all. Part of the reason for writing the book and the importance of the subject is that there is no personal responsibility if we're determined. You know, the devil made me do it. Yeah, all that. The, the, the dog ate my homework. <laughs> that, as I say in the book, the devil made me do it. Then there was the Twinkies made me do it. And now it's, you know, predestined causation made me do it. You know, yes. it's, a, it's a ready-made excuse for uh, misconduct. And in fact, the test that you referred to in that excerpt shows that when they influence people by reading them free will versus determinist statements and can try and convince them that determinism runs the universe or free will does, those who hear the determinist stuff cheat and lie and engage in aggressive conduct. You know, they so it influences their thought pattern, perhaps, and their actions. Oh, absolutely. It, it's been confirmed. Now, th these are sort of artificial, isolated conditions where they put someone at a computer and they tell them the world is determined and then they give them a test and they say, now, a, a page is going to pop up due to a glitch that's going to show you the answers, but don't look at it. Go past it. So the, it's, it's sort of a very confined kind of scientific test, but, but the results are all the same which is, in these contexts, beliefs in determinism lead to antisocial conduct. Belief in free will leads to more civility and, and altruism and respect for other people. And surely the latter was what most people would aspire to. In, you know, there wouldn't be, you know, you're sort of saying that determinism has grown over the past decade, but was it, would you still assume it would be a minority of people that would, you know, kind of adhere to that? adhere to the uh, determinist? Determinist ideology. Well, like it sort of sounds counterproductive the way you've described it. And I guess for a lot of us, even if we're not angels, we do seek to be altruistic and to, to do better in the world and leave the world in a better place than we found it and, you know, address some of the, the causes of inequality in our day to day. I think most people would aspire to that versus sure. an idea that they, they're out of, it's not up to them and, and everything they do is, is predetermined. Exactly. The strange thing is that most of the uh, new media pundits, Sam Harris isn't alone, believe that we're determined and believe that everything we say and do, we don't have control over. It, it's caused by forces that go back to the Big Bang. It's automatic and we're just doing what we have to do. We have no say in it. And a large part of the reason is because it, it, it comes from the scientific outlook. You know, science studies objects and causes and why does this happen and then that happens. They're out in the objective world observing things and material forces and physical things. So, so a lot of it is the influence of the scientific outlook. But as I say in the book, the, these people, they, they, in their heads, they may be a determinist. And you know what? They go home and they decide to fry the eggs, not scramble the eggs. They decide to take the dog for a walk, not take the dog for a walk. Like everybody else, their lives are built on one decision after another. So, so they have this sort of orientation in their head, this schema of how the world works. 
But that's not how they behave. They behave like you and me. Absolutely. So to change tack a little bit, I'm a believer that people haven't got to where they are in their business or career life if they haven't had some mentors and they can be formal mentors, they could be, you know, people you've met along the way. Or sometimes I've had some guests talk about mentors through TEDx or books that have just sort of really spoke to them that they've never actually met. For you personally, are there one or two mentors that stand out and what kind of impact have they had in your life and career? Well, I haven't had any personal ones, but in the, in the other sense uh, from books or what have you, I think Albert Einstein is a, is a pretty big inspiration for me and other people. And I, and I say that because a lot of people assumed that he was this math genius. And mathematics wasn't really his thing, not that he couldn't run circles around you and me, but he actually turned to other people who were better mathematicians to help him to take lessons, really, and figure out how to put his theories into practice. But what he really was was a visionary. He really looked at the world, forget the math, that came later. He looked at the world and he saw how science was putting it together, mainly Newton, and said, no, that's not how it works. It doesn't work like that. It works like this. So he took these basic pieces of what everyone sees and sort of fits together as the components of reality and said, and changed the whole thing, changed the rules. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, no one, it's the first time in five years anyone's had Albert Einstein as their, as their mentor. So there you go. You're, you're unique in that way. Well, uh, he's inspiring because what he did was, and yeah. how it relates in a way to the business question you asked earlier, is that it's the vision. You know, it's not always the technical stuff. He had the technical stuff, but that wasn't really his forte. He had a, a vision of how to of how reality worked that nobody had ever thought of before. I mean, it really came out of his head. Absolutely, it wasn't math. It came yeah. out of his head. The, the math was sort of the second step. Okay, how does how does it all work math mathematically? And I think it's a it's a lesson for everybody to think for yourself. You know, try and figure it out yourself. Don't don't give away your power to conventional wisdom because it's sometimes right and often wrong. Absolutely, I agree. So if we spoke in a year's time, David, what would be the number one thing you'd have hoped to have changed in your business or career and why? I think I'd like to write another book and I'd like to take the lessons and the skills and the struggles of, of writing uh, the past one and, you know, put it to task and, and uh, come up with a product that I'm really proud of. And I have an idea to sort of spark some interest that's sort of filtering through the system. And I would hope in a year that I would be on the show saying, here's my new book. <laughs> we talked about one a year ago. Here's the new one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great, great goal. And I'm sure you will get there. So just as we wrap up today, what would be a final takeaway message for everyone listening on the politics of free will? It would be to not surrender your free will. And it's so tempting to give away our power to so many things, social roles, anxieties, fears, limiting beliefs about who you are or what you can accomplish. And all of these things surrender our power and we can do a little bit less. And we all fight that struggle. And I think that free will is at the core of it, and it's a sort of a battle that we have to wage, a noble battle against the forces that would take away our power so that we can, I know this sounds cliche, but to use it for the good and the betterment of ourselves and society and all the things that we all deep down want. 
Fantastic way to wrap up our conversation today. And if you do want to connect further with David Lawrence or find out more about his book, there are some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.